Hey, welcome to uh, Memorial Day weekend, right? Uh, it's here, finally. Uh, I know that uh, for a lot of us, looking forward to an extended weekend, uh, especially the week leading up to it, it's almost like, man, uh, how much work it takes to get ready for one day off. It's almost not even worth taking the day off in the first place. Some of us look back after the week and go, okay, uh, I know that I'm getting a day off, but really three weeks uh, going in early, staying a little bit late just to get ready for this one. Maybe it's a bit much. Some of us come into Memorial Day weekend here, and it's, and it's almost saying, is it worth it at all? Especially looking at the week that we just went through. I mean, if it's not staying late at work, little things, right? Uh, speeding tickets, stubbing your toe, the bagel always landing, cream cheese side down. Some of you know there's probably some cream cheese stains by the bagels over there. <laughs> it's just like little things tend to pile up and pile up as they bite at us. And then we come into Memorial Day weekend on Sunday, a lot of people having tomorrow off and going, Finally. But it's hard to do that when you remember what you just came through. Especially when you go outside at night, maybe last night, out to the back deck. Sit down, look up at the sky, and it's one of these rare, clear nights where you can see like all the stars stretched over the sky and the bright moon shining down. And you get this sense that there's something just Big out there. Bigger than the little things that like plague our weeks from day to day, week in, week out, month in, month out. There's something just really that's big. The week is not. I mentioned the back porch looking up at the dark sky. Because that's what I imagined uh, the author of our song this morning, uh, David, going to. When he writes Psalm 8. If you're just now joining us for the first time this morning, again, glad you're here. Just to fill you in, we're in a series right now called Songs of the Heart. The premise of which is to say, for every emotion in the heart, there is a song that's written, a Bible passage that's written out, giving us words to that song. The music is lost a long, long time ago, but the words, they last. This morning, the song that we're tuning our hearts into is uh, Psalm number 8 with a P. It's located kind of in the middle of the Bibles. And allow me just to, to read you the first, uh, the first half of the song on the back of the worship flow sheet here, where it says, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You've set your glory above the heavens a glory, uh, same word, same root word as majestic there. Uh, Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold over your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. And in this I love, imagining David going out to his back deck, looking up and saying, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place. And we'll cut it off there for now. You can just kind of see him uh, getting ready for a long weekend or just going through one of those weeks and walking out to his porch, looking up and saying, whatever happened this week, it seems like a big deal, but it's not. This is big. 
And it's tempting, especially in light of one of those weeks, to say, I understand God is big. My question is, in light of this week, does he care? Few of us question the fact of whether or not God is big. David mentions the sun, moon, and star, the moon and stars which you have set in place. So we pick it up there. We go back to the back porch looking up at the dark sky. It, yes, uh, it's big. What David didn't have is the advantage of looking through uh, space telescopes and then satellites back down. What David didn't quite get to in his time is the fact that we now know that this rock that he often refers to, that this planet is something like six sextillion tons. That's a six with 26 zeros behind it. And not only that, but what David didn't quite know when he wrote these words, what he didn't know how true these words were, is that that giant rock is flying through space at somewhere around 68,000 miles an hour, all tilted at an axis, held together by these invisible bands called gravitational force. To which one author, Brennan Manning, writes in response to all this, when you think about the fact that this giant rock is flying through space, held together by something invisible, it starts to make you, uh, starts to make these words of Job, another author we're going to get to today, take on unparalleled significance when Job writes, he poised the earth on nothingness itself. How true these words are though they didn't even know it so at the time. I mentioned flying around the solar system the earth, or the, through space, all orbiting the sun, for which the sun, has, every square yard, has the energy output of uh, something around 130,000 horsepower in every square yard, which for those of you who like cars, that's about 300 brand-new Mustang Cobras. Now you're thinking about that. It's big, right? Really big. What also David didn't know is that if he went out to that back porch and held a a coin up to the sky the size of a dime, no matter where he held it, it would block out about 15 million of those stars that we call sun from view, if he could see that far, which of course he couldn't. It's really, really big, And he gets to that in that first half of the psalm. But the question is not if he's big, but does he care? I mentioned that uh, when it says glory, it's kind of that same root word that comes from majesty in the line right above it. The majesty fills the earth. Um, In writing about the Lord's majesty, there's an author, J.I. Packer, who wrote in a book called Knowing God. He he talks about God's limitless majesty, the majesty of which that David is, is just hinting at here as we get to it. He says, listen, the majesty of God, of the Lord, isn't just unlimited in the sense of creating this solar system. It's a limitless majesty in his knowledge, too. Which is to say, God doesn't just make all of these stars and earth and planet and things like that, but he knows the past and, of course, the way, way past. And not only does he know that, he knows your past and my past. Like what it was like to grow up in the house that you grew up in. 
like what it was that you really wanted to study back in college. He knows what happened last week. And of course, what will happen this week and how the two are connected. But knowing intimately everything about us, it almost makes you want to step back and say, uh, that's either terrifying or comforting. I suppose it depends what our view of God is in the first place. Packer goes on to say, not only is the Lord's majesty limitless when it comes to knowledge, but also limitless when it comes to power. I mean, it's a good question, right? When you think, okay, God knows everything, including what I need. But if he's not willing or able to act, that does me no good, no matter what my view of God is. I mentioned Job, that we're going to be hearing from his voice as we work through this song that David, that David uh, penned the words through. Job has one of these experiences where he goes through life and he had everything. He was a well-off guy and then he lost it all. I mean, one thing after another, and it's like business, employees, family members, everything goes away. And he's left in the, in the rubble of his life's disaster. And he's pointing the finger to God and saying, I know that you know, but do you care? Are you even able to do anything about what you know is happening? To which God responds to Job when he says, Job, I will question you and you will answer me. Job, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Surely you know. Job, where were you when I hung the stars in the sky? Job, where were you when I marked off the dimensions of the oceans and I said, this far and no further will you come? Job, I am powerful enough. Which makes Job step back and say, if he's limitless in knowledge and limitless in power, does he care? Because an all-knowing um, God, an all-powerful God, is either a terrifying thing or a comforting thing, depending on what your view of God is. So the root question here, does he care? If he's knowing and he's big, but does he care, is a good question. And everything rides on that question, I would argue. Because if he doesn't care, then we're in trouble. If he does care, then God comes off as not a stingy kind of petty God, but a generous, sharing kind of God. There's a couple of voices that I want us to hear from as we work through that question of does God care? The first voice comes from Job. And you'll remember, this one comes in the midst of his suffering. When he has just lost everything, he pens these words in Job 7. They should sound familiar. Uh, what are human beings that you make so much of them, that you give them so much attention? 
And then he like flips. Why have you made me your target? Have I become a burden to you? Why do you not pardon my offenses, forgive my sins? For I'll soon lie down in the dust. We remember last week, that's a euphemism for dying. You'll search me, but I will be no more. The first possible response to that question, does God care? Is Job saying, I don't think so. Or at least, I wish he wouldn't. Just leave me alone. Who am I that I'm worth paying attention to from you? In the question, um, is God a generous God or is God a stingy God? Job answers by saying he's stingy with his grace, with his love, with whatever it is, with his gifts. And I want nothing to do if I could only get away for a little while. We'll sort of like, Pause that right there in Job's questioning and move over to this song we alluded to that we started off with. When David, working his way through this heart song of praise, he says, When I consider the heavens, the works of your hands, the sun and moon and stars which you have set in place, what are mere mortals that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. I want you to notice, as you're working your way through with me on the worship flow sheets, the striking resemblance between that first line in the Job paragraph and the first line in this song. I mean, it's almost um, the same exact thing. There's a couple of just translation things here, but what are human beings that you make so much of them in Job? What are mere mortals that you're mindful of them in Psalm 8? It's the same line of questioning, asking God, Do you care? David answers after that. You have made them, that's human beings, a little lower than the heavenly beings. Crown them with glory and honor. You've made them rulers over the works of your hands. Put everything under their feet. All flocks, herds, animals of the wild, the birds in the sky, the fish of the sea, all that swim in the paths of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name. In all the earth. Again, that first line that he starts off with again. So the question is God a generous God or is God a stingy God? Job says, I wish he just wouldn't care at all. David comes back and says, Listen, his majesty knows everything, can do everything. And let me tell you, time after time after time, he's generous. He's sharing. He says, who who am I to deserve anything? Yet you've crowned me with glory and honor, and not just me, but all of us. He's generous. There's one more um, description that Packer gives in that book, Knowing God. He says, not only is God limitless in knowledge and limitless in power, but he's limitless in presence. That is, he's limitless when it comes to sharing time, to sitting next to us, to go through all of those songs of the heart that we go through in a month, in a week, even in an hour whether that means God sitting next to us and crying and laughing and smiling, he's limitless in his presence. 
So the question, is he generous or is he stingy? Is the question that we'll be exploring this week as we try to figure out, come to terms with with what it is that happens and who God is. He's generous and he cares. You could say, by looking at all those um, astronomical numbers and uh, figures that I mentioned, you could say not only is God big, which is sort of a summary of that first half of his uh, heart song, but also the second half is that he's near, that he cares about humans, although there's no real reason to. And he's not only just near, he's near enough getting back to those planets, near enough to know all those little uh, equations uh, that hold solar systems and atoms to keep them from imploding or exploding. He's near enough to know, listen, if I hang the moon just this far enough away, then the oceans won't, ocean tide won't um, overflow all the land and the earth, eventually erode everything away, uh, mountains included. He's near enough to know that the um, ocean has to be dug within feet of uh, not having the, uh, the oxygen and carbon dioxide trapped under, so far underwater that vegetative life can't uh, be anymore. He's near enough to know that the Earth's axis has to be tilted at a very generous and grace-filled 23 degrees, or else the vapors of Earth will freeze, creating massive continents of ice all around the globe. He's near enough and generous enough to do these, but he's near enough to be limitless in his presence, not just with those things, but sitting next to us this week. And Job. Job eventually came around. After ranting for a while, using a voice that we'd all like to, he eventually settles on this Job 19. You almost want to preface it by saying, But, at the end of the day, God is generous with his time. God is generous with his grace, with his mercy, with his affection, with his care. And when Job says, And I know that my Redeemer lives, and that in the end he will stand on the earth, Job 19. We almost want to say together with Job, And he's generous with his son, too. the God who sees us and who is with us at our best, at our worst, and everything in between, still choosing to die for us. David tunes his heart song in to the big God in the first half of the psalm who draws near to us in the second half of the psalm. Let's pray together.